0: Tenor Gracie, the creator with his brother uh, here on, of Grace University and currently running one of the largest schools in the world with over 1,500 students. Um, it is an absolute pleasure for us to have him on today talking about a whole range of different topics from understanding how to feel somebody's role, the impact of his brother on his life, talking about his grandfather, Elio Gracie. And I hope you guys really enjoy it today okay man so Hannah. Uh, so thank you so much for coming on today to, to spend some time with us um i was uh, saying to everybody that i've been talking to this week i'm trying to find ways to Help the students stay connected to jujitsu and realize that jujitsu isn't just the physical actions or the rolling that happens, but it's a whole range of different things that build up like the, the gracie lifestyle, right? It's like what we're eating, what we're talking about, what we're doing, and so there's these conversation points that um, people don't always think about, or they or they have the thought themselves, but they don't raise it with people who can answer the question. So I thought. I've got access to people that can answer the questions. So, you know, why not take time to speak to somebody like yourself? So thank you so much for coming on, man.
1: My pleasure, bro. And congratulations on all the great work out there in Australia. And um, they're lucky to have you. And if they ever don't want you, we'll take you here in Torrance. So
0: <laughs> thank you so much. You you, you uh, were very, um, uh, you showed a lot of, um, praise towards our school in the Business Mastery Seminar. And I've had a lot of contact from different school owners from around the world already. So you're right, they are going to contact me and ask me questions. Um, but also just from like my own students, they were just so uh, like, they were so proud, was like the right way to put it, of like our school being shown in that light. So thank you so much for that.
1: Easy bro, you do the work and I'll let the world know.
0: <laughs> um, and well, that's one thing I wanted to, to kind of ask you about to start with, right, is, um, I've been in martial arts for you know, over 25 years now, coming through karate and boxing and, and now jujitsu. And I've had a lot of mentor figures come through, but also those mentorships or those relationships can sometimes deteriorate. And you're in this interesting situation where you're developing all these people's skills to teach and run their schools. But I've never ever seen you shy away from somebody's ideas or take on board their feedback or information and I guess like, how do you not make that same mistake that other mentors have made in those, those positions that they're in?
1: Yeah, so I think it starts from a jiu-jitsu background. It keeps you really humble. Mm. Just when you think you know it all, you get choked by someone who knows one move more or, or, or moves one, one step at the you know, better timing than you. So you can't be proficient and maintain a jiu-jitsu relationship with the art for more than a few years without achieving that humility, right? Um, so for me, man, I just, I always feel like I'm not the best at everything. I'm the best at a few things mm. and everyone out there is also the best at a few things. Yeah. And my mindset is let me learn the mastery skills of all the, you know, people in my life that I respect and have achieved success in any category. Let me learn their mastery skill. If you're a slackliner, let teach me how to slackline. If you're a tennis player, I don't tennis play, but teach yeah. me how to tennis play. I want to learn from the master. So, I feel that even the homeless guy on the side of the street could give me a lecture on what not to do. And I would listen or Mm. the old person sitting at a bench and who's still married 75 years later. I want to know how it worked or the guy who got divorced. I want to know how he ruined it. So Mm. I'm just the kind of person who I'm always looking at. You know, I I, I perceive myself as a good question asker of people in levels in, in positions of knowledge and, Skill or expertise, and um, that's it. Ever since I was a little kid, I was just always asking the questions. And now that I've reached a position of success and and influence over a lot of schools, I'm still looking for the things that we're doing wrong that we can improve across the board. And a lot of times, and I'm so blessed right now with 170 plus schools that all have great ideas. Many of them come out of your school, and many others who are just always pushing the boundaries and finding ways to really grow the basic framework that we've established for everyone but they're really just making it better and then I take it back and then I say cool Robbie I love that idea let's put it out to all the CTCs yeah and you know so I'm just constantly recycling good ideas there's no monopoly on good ideas and the only person who's who's excluded from them is the person who's not willing to you know ask and not willing to listen when the good idea presents itself
0: yeah, I think a lot of people like the, would be in like my position where like you're coming in and you're being led by different like like a leader like yourself. You'd be like I find myself nervous to voice my opinion on that, but I felt like since day one I, I've been very able to say, hey, I've got this idea or I want to produce this flyer or this online material, this video resource myself, and you've been like, yeah, like let us see it I and mean, then go ahead for it from there. Um and it's, just, it's just it's such a comforting thing to know that you're able to do that, that um you're not gonna have like uh you're not gonna be attacked for sharing an idea in that situation.
1: Yeah, and, and I think that your your initial impulse that you might be attacked comes from your history in martial arts. Hundred percent. Very traditional martial arts is very much bow to your master, don't speak up, don't ask questions, don't ask why. Yeah. I'm not a traditional martial artist, you know. I'm yeah. a I'm an American-born Brazilian jiu-jitsu, BJJ in its origin yeah is a violation of japanese jiu-jitsu mm, yeah. so if, if everything we love about jiu-jitsu was only existed because my grandfather chose to go against the grain mm. how can i in a position of influence have any 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 type of you know logical reason to say no to something like that you bring a good idea from australia and me go no it can't be that way just because i didn't think of it no The people who are the boundary pushers, the people who are trying new things, seeing, doing the testing, give us the data. And if it works, I don't care, bro. If it works for you, it works for me. So there's no, I don't care where the idea comes from. I just care that it was had. And then where the idea came from, people are going to allow us to share with everyone. And if that's the case, we all win together.
0: Mm. And that's it, right? Because it really is. It's like we're all feeling those successes and you see all the different school owners talking to each other. Um, and, and it is like a feeling of success. It's like that thing paid off or, or that, that idea you had was awesome. Like, I'm going to try that out for a little bit. Um, and it just keeps paying off tenfold for everybody else from there. So yeah, it's just been, it's been a great part experience for myself to go through. And then it leads on to me with like my assistant instructors and so forth. Like they'll come in and I go through, or a student, I remember one day we were doing the cleaning, uh, the mat cleaning and we used to go from North to South. And he came up one day after like six months of us doing the routine and him kind of being part of it in the master cycle. And he goes in food hygiene, you always go the shortest passes, the least spread across the mat. He's like, why don't we go east to west? And I was like, that's a great idea. And it it increased like the efficiency of time of sweeping and more people were doing it. And it was just like that idea, but he was scared. Like he like, he came up to me and he was like, Robbie, I, I kind of have said some, have something I wanted to share with you. I'm like, dude, just sh- spit it out, man. What's, what's going on? He's like, oh, it's just about the way we keep the place tidy. And I was like, are we not keeping it tidy enough? He's like, no, 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 you're doing it good. And you could just see, like, he was nervous. Yeah. Like, I feel like I would be nervous to ask a question.
1: There you go, bro. So you're not only the, the victim of that nervousness, you're the culprit of it too, you know? So it's yes. good, bro. And listen, as long as, yeah, it's it's all good. It's family spirit. It's good ideas from everywhere. And listen, that this speaks to the culture at GU. It speaks to the culture at Burwood. It's just, you know, you're successful because of this spirit and your recognition that this spirit exists in us at the top is why you're perpetuating it and why you're so successful. I mean, it's just, it's all makes perfect sense. And, um, you know, yeah, you, there's no doubt there's a correlation between your success and your comfort with trying new things and exploring and versus just being boxed into one thing and not ever trying anything. So congratulations.
0: When you put yourself in that leadership position, it comes with a lot of weight in regard to the things that you say and, and that you do. And, and I know you see that, like especially on social media where you'll say something and people are very quick to voice their opinion on it. Um, but when you're in like the school position, it holds even more weight because there's people looking up to you as the example of the teacher, um, like their philosopher, their their kind of guide through their martial arts journey. And like, how, does, how do you find it, like managing your words in front of people to make sure that what you're saying is uh, not going to be taken in a, in a misconstrued way or that you don't just say something haphazardly, like when you're in the moment, that can impact a student negatively.
1: Yeah. I think that um, first and foremost is to not exist in two forms, right? The biggest, the biggest, the most concerning instructors are the ones who have two versions. They have the version that's the one that goes to work and teaches and then when they're somewhere else, whether it's social media or whether it's out in their personal lives, they're a different version of themselves. There's only one version of me. It's yeah. high energy. It's enthusiastic. It's, 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 it's respectful. It's a gratitude. And it's jujitsu. And when I'm there and anything I say, I don't have to watch what I say because everything I say is my truth and is my reality. So if how you carry yourself and how you communicate are in alignment, if your character and your communication are in alignment, you never have to worry. It's like, you know, you don't have to remember the truth. And if, you, you, you don't have to, if you're you not going to lie, you don't have to remember what you said, you know, if you're telling the truth. So it's one of those things where, you know, I have no concerns about, I speak openly, and I speak enthusiastically to my students. And, you know, sometimes I might say something that, you know, is either a strong opinion about something. Um, but I feel like since they know where I'm coming from, a lot of times the the the, 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 the framing of my perspectives on things I think are well understood by the people I spend the most time with so I have very little concern about the students closest to me and naturally when you have social media where everyone is you know someone is you know is watching what you're saying the people that are the furthest away and know you the least are going to make the heaviest opinions Mm -hmm. and be the most critical so you have to become thick-skinned and just kind of brush it off delete the comment ignore them or whatever and just go on with your day because if, if they don't know me then their opinion about me can't have any weight right your opinion about me can only matter as much as you matter to me mm. um and that's it and that's why we always take the criticism from our closest our wife our husband our son, our children our best friend that criticism mm. stings the hardest if that's true then the criticism from some no name who i've never met who has a fake instagram profile who's saying hey Henry, who are you to do this and talk about jiu-jitsu business and or you're mm. crazy and you're a disgrace to the gracie family i'm gonna go all right well shoot man like if that guy can have an opinion and it affects me It speaks to, you know, um, you know, how, how, how low my confidence is in myself ultimately. Right. I'm just, I'm so impressionable by someone who means so little to me. And that's the thing about jujitsu. It builds your confidence so high that you Mm -hmm. become more resilient to the small little stones that are thrown from any direction. You just go, I don't even feel it. It's all good. And, um, you know, and then something that matters from someone that matters, then you step up and you have a adult conversation and you. You start by listening to their concerns and then you address or you modify or you consider them and plan your actions for the future. But it has to come from someone that you, whose opinion you respect. And and if it comes from them in the right language, you can respond with equally respectful language and accomplish something major if you're willing to listen. So I'm not saying that all criticism is unjustified or bad. I'm just saying we got to be very careful about the ones we let to affect us. Because with this day and age of social media, if you let every stone that's thrown you know, hit you, and then you give all your attention to it. Oh my God! And I have some friends that do, and I go, bro, yeah. why? You know, <laughs> it's a waste of energy and time. We don't have time for that.
0: Would you say an example of that was uh, Hickson with the combatives belt, like an example of where somebody said something, you took it on board, and and made it an easily, yeah, easily.
1: And 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 there have been others, uh, but absolutely, Hickson, Pedro Sauer have all had great ideas, and uh, these guys just did it the right way, and they just, you know, instead of just. Talking trash in the media, they come and they say, Hey, here's what it is. Yeah. Let me understand. Let, first, it's like, Hey, let me understand. And then I show it to them. They go, Wow, this is more than I imagined. Yeah. All right, cool. Now, you know, what is it like? And tell me more about it. And then they explain, understand fully. And then once they understand, they go, All right, well, here's my concern. I understand what you're doing. Here's my concern now that I understand. Mm-hmm. And then they explain that to me. And I go, All right, cool. So your concern is this, 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 and this, right? Yeah, okay. So what if we did this or this? Yeah, that one makes sense. That one, not so much. Okay, cool. Let's try this. So they just adult conversation and you go, bro. So, I'm the first one to, you know, be open to a good idea. Yeah. Um, you know, if it's, if it's coming from the right source and with the right energy, it's all good.
0: And you think because you come at it with that energy, it makes them less combative when they come and talk to you? Like they're willing yeah, to share?
1: Sure. Well, you start yeah. with respect, bro. You get what you start for sure, especially yeah. with the older generation and my uncles and, yeah. you know, uh, even other non-family members out there who, you know, you come with respect and you come with, coming with an open ear, right? Communication starts with listening. So you come in trying to understand first where they are in their life and what their concerns are. And then everything ca- takes care of itself from there.
0: You were commenting before, like your, your grandfather went against the grain and kind of changed the whole way he approached Jiu-Jitsu. And, and that's why we kind of come in. And I, I hear Hiron talk about your grandfather a lot as well. And I hear you put drips and drabs wow. out, but I've never really heard how much uh, time you got to spend. Because I know like Hiron got to go in for like six months and spent six months in Brazil with him. And I guess like, how how much time did you have with with your grandfather
1: yeah i didn't have the six month graduation stint that he had yeah. um when he did that hoist was still working at gracie academy with my dad so yeah. he don't was able to leave and the business was still somewhat under control when i graduated high school is when hoist left yeah and uh, split off to do his own thing so at that moment he not only was back and needed to be back but I was like, graduated high school, and from day one, it was like, boom, you're running the business. You and Heaton are it, 100% go. Yeah. And we taught every class, privates, groups, and just nonstop all day, every day.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but so I didn't get that six month run, but I got several months at a time. You know, he would come here, he would stay here for a month or two at a time. And he would stay in my house with my okay. dad and with me in a bedroom and uh, had many great conversations. And of course, growing up, all the trainings, right? When he was in town, it's coaching me and Heaton at 12 and 14 years old, beating each other up. Yeah. Every single year, he would come. And towards his later years, like 89 90 he stopped traveling as much but yeah. prior to that it was you know every year for you know at least several weeks sometimes longer he would come here he just liked being here and cleaning up and folding towels and yeah. always telling everyone what they're doing wrong at the academy and checking everyone's self-defense yeah. and then he would want to buy a private class with my grandfather didn't speak English nor did he feel like sparring with everyone who wanted to, to a private yeah. so then we would be the translators and bodies so having the chance to see my grandfather teach so many private classes to my students and our gracie academy students and then being the middleman who was not only translating his language translating his jujitsu for the student and yeah. being there and all the things that he cared about so uh, just a special character bro just someone who just constant and never-ending improvement efficiency at the highest level on everything from how he peels an apple to how he teaches a class to how he folds a towel everything was a competition everything was getting better and finding and shaving off seconds and he was just so proud of that and, um, he loved, I would shave his head. You know, I was, I was his official hair cutter when he was in America because I had to help trimmers. So there were times where he's like, Henry cut my hair and he's like long white hair. He didn't like it. He wanted, to, he wanted a buzz cut. Yeah. So I would go shave it for him and he was always very happy, like how it looked. And, uh, and then before you go to bed at night, he would say, okay, Henry, tomorrow morning, we're going to have smoothie. What do you want when you wake up? Mm. Uh, what kind of smoothie and how much I'd be like, okay, two glasses of this right here. I want honeydew melon, banana, dates, <laughs> coconut, whatever. And just blend it all together and he would go in there and, and we wake up at seven thirty, and boom there's your smoothies ready everything the whole kitchen is cleaning he's just sitting down like this ready to watch you drink your smoothie and then while you're drinking he's listening talking and then after he's done he'll play solitaire for two hours before we go to the academy and then we go to the academy and he's there folding towels watching classes coming in giving his tips and so funny walking by all the students and grabbing and fixing their hands and no english but 100 percent perfect adjustments and grabbing and hey do this do that Coaching along the way, and all, all his only words, his only English words were um, "thank you." He goes "thank you," and then he would say, um, he would say, um, "very strong, very strong." If, <laughs> if you're doing the move wrong, you heard "very strong, very strong," <laughs> and that was it. So yeah, he's so like Brazil, Take
0: that as a compliment.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, 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 it's not a compliment. He's <laughs> telling your technique whack. Wow. He says "very strong." He would ta- It's almost like. All right, you're hopeless get out of here you, know, you're too <laughs> you don't need jujitsu and uh he's just a funny guy so but yeah i had great times bro I just, like everybody says he's just a special guy and you know one of a kind and you know just i just try to you know talk less and just exist more in gratitude for the fact that i had so much time and i just know so well what his greatest pride was it was always to coach the little guy against the big guy always to empower mm-hmm. the weak against the strong so you see today bjj it's so much, it's so competition-driven in so many places mm. that so many schools do not offer a jiu-jitsu that my grandfather, forget the sport versus street self-defense technique yeah. perspective. Just in terms of the service that's being offered, most schools, most people are not capable of surviving the first six months. Yeah. So if you have a BJJ school under Ellie Gracie from some branch or lineage of, or, or another, and your schools, no one can survive there if they're not incredibly athletic Tenacious, survival of the fittest, right?
0: Yeah. A
1: trial by fire, learning of jujitsu. If you can't survive that, then sorry, you can't hang with us, and you know, find another school or good yeah. luck and off you off you out. Most people are thrown to the wolves, you know, early on, and it's the the big disconnect is because in Brazil there weren't group classes, right? It was primarily yeah. almost entirely private classes early days. Everything was one on one, so the student would start learning, 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 and the t- teacher would change the intensity to match that of the student, always pulling them along. But then you come to America and for money and for business, and you got to find a way. How we can have more people on the mat at the same time? We don't have enough private instructors like they had in Brazil. They had a whole slew of them. Here we don't have as many, so let's put them all in a room like they do in judo and just or any other martial art, and just teach them all at the same time. And at the end of class, the same way a private instructor would roll with their private student. Right? If I'm your private teacher and you have four classes, I can roll with you because I know your four moves. Yeah. So I can lead you on those four moves. I'm not sparring because you would never come back if I annihilated you on day four of my skill level. Yeah. So I can roll with you in a private as you've done in your students. You're yeah. always doing this, like kind of keeping them right in front, like just pulling them along because you know the moves they know. So you're feeding them techniques. Yeah. But the Problem is when you have a group class of 40 people, And you have people pair up, no one is skilled enough to feed the techniques perfectly to the beginner that they're sparring with. They're all beginners. So then it's like, all right, nobody feed anybody, but everybody survive and go. Just don't tap out and do your best. So that's where the disaster came in because the gradual, appropriate, progressively increasing of intensity sparring that happened at the end of private classes could never be replicated on a group level by -hmm. students of varying skill levels. And that's when the whole disaster began. And then because we did that early on in the late 80s, early 90s, that became the way in America. So the very so then because it became the way in America at Gracie Academy in Torrance, the original Gracie Academy, everybody who ever came through there, everyone who ever saw how it was done and later opened to school just did that. The yeah. problem is, what's crazy is the very problem that is plaguing jiu today, we were the beginners. We were the origin of that. And mm. now all I'm trying to do is patch up the pieces and bring back some of the integrity to the Gracie Jiu Jitsu in the sense that it's taught to people who can actually learn it. Gracie Combatives, having structured curriculum, Mm -hmm. having no sparring for beginners. These are all things that are trying to go back to allowing people to train who were candidates for my grandfather's privates are the same candidates for Gracie Combatives group classes or Bulletproof or Women Empowered. Those are the kinds of students we're attracting, and you're doing that as well. And you just see it, bro. It's the 95%, not the 5% elite athletes that some people want to just focus on them But then you end up with 40 students and that's fun until you realize, man, what kind of service are you offering the community? If you're only teaching 40 people in the whole city of Burwood, you have 45 students or 50 or 60, right? Versus 600 plus. And you're just offering a service that, you know, people's lives are changed forever because of the things you're offering. So and then they progressively increase until one day it gets more intense. And then you create monsters over there that, you know, are, are just under fire we talk about that in time. class.
0: Like we, we find that there's particular people in our school who are absolute assets. Like they're great guys to roll with. They're very technical, but they would never have survived the system that I came up in and through bringing them through combatives and RD and building them up in, you know, in the way that we do throughout it. You have these guys who are just like absolute technical monsters Um, fun to roll with but also encourage all their training partners to roll and and uh, engage in the learning even more you know they want to do more with them they want to and they just have that that mindset right that their body didn't couldn't back up if they would have come the other way and now they do because they've built a skill and the coordination of this and and, you know it's it's such such that we see the payoff but not everybody trusts it because they haven't felt it yet they've only felt one way to do it
1: yeah, You don't know what you don't know. And if you were brought up under the firing friggin pit, then guess what? When you open your school, you're going to create a firing pit and just hope that, you know, people survive the way you did. And, hey, I love jiu so I want to give it the way I got it. And um, it's sad, bro, because, you know, it's sad because these businesses aren't nearly as successful as they could be for their yeah. own personal. If you even call it just be selfish and the financial gain for the individual owners, they're missing out on 90 percent of what they could have. But it's much bigger than that, right? They're not servicing people who need jiu-jitsu. If you look at the grandmaster and what he wanted, everyone should have access to jiu It changes lives, makes the world a better place, right? These these schools that are only keeping, you know, one out of ten students that walk through their doors, they're not operating in alignment with that vision because they're just, you know, they're excluding people who aren't qualified or talented enough. So it's sad, but it's the reality. And we're, we're making our dent, though. I'll tell you what. You know, we had that um, – that broadcast the other day yeah. for new school owners and talking about the whole system. So people i I never done such things so thorough, right? Yeah. Where I explained from A to Z what we do because there's a lot of haters and there's a lot of confusion, but now it's completely clear yeah. what the success system is and what it takes to get on board. And since then, I think Ty just sent me a thing. It's been 48 hours and we have 131 territory applications Whoa. since the time we did that broadcast. Yeah. So now that there's clarity and people know exactly what it is there that the relationship is. Um, you know, they're just flooding in right now more than we've ever had. And it's exciting because we're going to make a dent. We're going to make a dent. We're going to tilt the scale back in the other direction. And Mm -hmm. I'm very confident that fast forward three, five, 10 years, the days of these BBJJ fight clubs of absolute annihilation station, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to fizzle away. I'm telling you, because it's just a matter of the the schools in every territory, the schools that will prevail are the ones that are offering the greatest service.
0: Yeah.
1: So it'll just happen by itself. And, and, and you know, whether it's TTCs, right, which would be great, or whether it's just people who wake up and smell the coffee and realize they have to do this in a way that is that is accommodating for the students, but also helps them grow in a structured manner to keep them engaged. Well, whoever does that, whether it's with us or without us, is going gonna, is gonna to service people better. Yeah. Um, you know, the difference with us is that, you know, the, the, the group marketing benefit, the fact that we're all on the same page and the consistency across the board and The fact that we can help get students in the door from all of our marketing efforts is a great benefit but it's not the we're not the only ones anybody who has the foresight to protect people give them structure and give them self-defense will double their success than what they would have ever had otherwise Hmm.
0: that one uh, like when i came on board um you released like a video about like bjj black belts going through the system and i know it's something i've heard you talk about since and We've seen a few black belts come through the ICP, but still not a vast majority. What do you think the number one barrier is to, to black belts getting on board?
1: Good question. And I think you experienced this. You can speak on your own behalf here, yeah. which is you thought you had it figured out. Yeah, yeah. You thought you were good. Mm. You feel me? Like they, they, we, we, we tout so much the fact that a blue belt can teach beginners yeah. that some black belts go, well, I, you know, it's, I guess it's not for me until they realized look at robbie and look at the success and that's why i used you as a testimonial because you were a black belt before and you were a black belt after the only yeah. thing that changed was the operating system and the confidence that our program gave you to just go and own it 100 percent and be with it so i love that testimonial it just but that doesn't speak to the brand new blue belt who's trying to open a school so yeah. i had to talk to him about johnny vasquez or yeah. the taekwondo guy that's why i have those three testimonials because they yeah. addressed the full gamut of what the viewing audience is right so yeah. Nonetheless, the answer is they think they got it figured out. I spoke to a guy today mm. on the East coast of the United States has about 200 students and he's on the fence like, yeah, I don't know if the money it's worth it. This and that. Yeah. And I was like, bro, it is, it's <laughs> absolutely, you're going to hover. He's been 15 years and he has 200 students. Mm. Hmm. You know what that <laughs> He's barely scratched the surface of what's possible, right? And he's absolutely going in the same cycle that you were in forever, which is, man, what the heck do I do? How do I grow past whatever, the next milestone, double my enrollment? The answer is you dial in the systems, you get a, a scalable process that you can certify other instructors so they can help you expand the schedule, and then you keep the so consistency that the students show up more regularly and they tell all their friends about it, but those systems have to support that growth. Yeah. So I'm like telling him all this and he's like, ah, oh, yeah, you know, but you know, this and that and whatever. So it was so funny to talk to him and no, I already know the end result. I've already yeah. seen it many times over of black belts who came in and oh my gosh, they never look back. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, the answer is they think they're okay as black belts. Little do they know they're completely lost in the woods. Most yeah. of them. And, um, as, as are all instructors with no training, right? Well, how do you yeah. learn anything without learning anything? Just because you're a black belt and you came up means, doesn't mean anything about your teaching or your business administration or yeah. your, um, your program coordination or your schedule optimization. None of that comes with a black belt. So and
0: There's no other job that you do in regard to teaching where you don't go in qualified besides martial arts. Yeah. It's like it, it, apparently, the, the belt gives you justification. There's, there's one. What is it? Parent, parenting. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: Having a child is like getting a black belt. Yeah. It's a major responsibility, but it doesn't come with an instructional manual. So yeah. to have a child and try to raise that child without going through the ICP, you're toast. Good luck. You're toast, bro. You better figure something out. So anyways, the black belts think they know. They have no idea, bro. They have no idea until they see a school like yours or ours or someone who's doing it right. And then they come visit and they yeah. go like this. Oh, my God. I didn't even know this existed on the universe, on the planet. And yeah. seeing it in person is, all these people here are learning jiu-jitsu right now. They all came together just tonight. And is it like this every night? Yes, yeah. this is it, normal. All these kids came for one class. Oh, my gosh. So you're getting that over there. We're getting it over here. And CTCs, lower level, are getting it wherever they are. People are coming into Blue Belt CTCs. Black belts are showing up and going, oh, my gosh. How is there 240 students in a Blue Belt school?
0: Yeah.
1: I have 125, and I've been doing this for 10 years. So that's all.
0: Um, one of the things that kind of comes up a lot is, you know, we, you have the online curriculum. I think a lot of people, a lot of times the communication I get is people think it's just combatives and that's the entire curriculum. They think like the whole Gracie university curriculum is 36 techniques and that's all you're going to learn from white belt to black belt. Um, and you know, like there, there, there's this, like you said the other day in, in a podcast, you were on, um, what was it called? Uh, cleared. cleared a yeah, clear hot. That's it. Yeah, you're on that, and you talked about like the one percenters, like the the Scott Butlers, the Jeremiah Hacketts, the the guys who kind of like go in and learn the entire. Alexander Hagman's another one. They like, who kind of like go in and and learn the that entire. Was- yeah, and like right through to BBS four, and they've covered those. What is it? It's like 240 techniques per belt, four slices in. So you're hitting like almost 960 techniques Yes. You know, um, per stripe. You know, so you go through, there's, there's almost like 6,000 details that you're looking at across from Bullyproof to is Women Empowered, uh, BBS 1 to 4, right? And so like you say this as, why do you think there's, there's only like 1% that, that do that at the moment?
1: Good question. I feel like, I think I said 5%. I said 90, I said 1 out of 20, 5% of, maybe not even that high, but all the way through BBS4, it's very But just learning online, it's about 5% yeah. of our, um, 5 to 10% of our GU membership actually does at-home training. The rest of them are just dabbling, watching lessons, training at a BJJ school, whatever. Yeah. Um, but the point is, uh, why is it not more? Man, it takes incredible uh, determination. First of all, you have to have that fire to say, I'm going to do this no matter what. Number one, because you take some work, right? Number two is you have to have the discipline to show up and say, I'm going to study right now. I'm not going to do my family distractions. Doing it from home, it's almost like working from home. It's harder than working at the office, right? (laughs) So when you have the distractions and family and things. So the guys who do it just won't take no for an answer. They're far enough away from a CTC like yours and eager enough to learn a martial art like ours. that they just don't accept any other way. And if it's on the internet and he don't know say it's possible, they're going to make it possible and they're going to be the example as to why it is possible. And those Mm -hmm. are the guys who surface and almost invariably, they open CTCs. Mm -hmm. They're superstars first through GU. And then it's like, yo, if you're that one guy out of 20 or one out of 50 in your Mm -hmm. community that's capable of learning that motivated on your own, you should be leading the remaining 50, 100, 200, 500, 600 who are not motivated enough to log on at the end of a long day's work, and they actually want to show up at a school, line up against the wall, and have you tell them what to do. Yeah, It just makes, the equation makes sense. If you're my loyal messenger and my guy who I'm going to send in the information, you're going to devour it and make it easy for them to learn. They yeah. should come to you and learn if they don't want to go devour it on their own, on their own time at home. So mm-hmm. our system right now is perfectly dialed in to create these individual superstars, give them all the tools they need to transfer that information to their students, and then continue feeding information to them, and then they keep feeding their students. And to the extent that they do a good job feeding their students and owning the material and then passing it on, they experience the success that you're experiencing. It's very simple. Yeah. If you're not committed to this pipeline that you and I have, to we send it to you, you devour, and then you translate that for them, then that's when you see some CTCs, which there are a few, who just yeah. don't experience the same success. It's been four years, and they're still not even BBS1 certified. Yeah. I'm like, yo, if you don't commit to the curriculum, why should your students commit to you?
0: Yeah, I guess that's kind of like my next question. Is like, you, you give everybody the same package, right? But it doesn't turn out the same for everybody. And it's like, why do you think a CTC might not find the success that they're looking for when they go through the process?
1: I think it's absolute character and discipline and willingness to sacrifice. It's just different. Yeah. You just, if, human work ethic. Why do anybody, you have, you know, 5,000 5, Stanford graduates. Why do some of them become the most influential people in the world? And some people you never hear about and fall, freaking get broke and go there and just disappear into the oblivion. Who knows? They all got the same training at Stanford. Some do more with the same exact tools and some do less. So we put out the system. We say, here's what you need to do the people who optimize it and do all of it, and then some, right, they add their own ideas and they they don't take no for an answer, they're going to experience success. I've never seen someone do everything perfectly that we tell them to do and not be successful. All I've seen is people who fall short on the systems and they come saying, hey, what's up? How come it's not working out over here? And we're like, yo, it's been six years. You're BBS zero?
0: Mm.
1: What are you doing? So not that that's the only thing of BBS one, two, three, four. It's a huge thing. It's just a sign of dedication to what we're doing. Yeah. Right. And if, yeah, you're, if you're falling short there, then I go, ah, yeah. if it's their full, now if you have a full-time job and jujitsu is your part-time teaching hobby, I give you a little slack. I cut you a little slack. I go, all right, well he's paying his bills other ways. This is just for fun. Yeah. But if you're full-time jujitsu yeah. and you're not BBS one through four, like charging through that in, in the first every year, at least one BBS per year, yeah. at least I start to look at it and go, ah, uh, I don't know. I don't know. You know, what are they spending the, the remaining 10 hours of the day on, you know what I'm saying, when they're not teaching classes? So that's that's my that's my biggest advice to any new school is follow the systems, learn the curriculum, be the most dedicated student in the building, and you have nothing to worry about. But when those things change and you don't follow the system or you're changing the way the classes are taught or you're changing the way Gracie Combat is structured for the beginners because you think you have a better idea, uh, bro, not better than 1,500 students we have. So no
0: that's a, that's the thing that comes up a lot right is like people don't even learn like they don't master the basics so like how the cards work how the class is structured those kind of like they're basics bas- they're like your fundamentals of technique like that's your fundamentals of your school no
1: exception. No is, yeah. uh, if
0: you're not going to learn that then every, and if you're going to start changing it before you've mastered it like you can't break the rules if you haven't learned what the rules are to start with
1: there you go
0: yeah um I've seen you like across the years uh, teaching combatives, bully-proof, women-empowered, master cycle. Like, most schools or, or in the martial arts world, you kind of see that like, the idea of the school owner builds up their school to a point where they can pass off classes so that they don't have to teach anymore. And you've got like quick flip apparel and you've got all these other things that you could kind of do, but I still see you on the mat and you put 100% energy and 100% effort into every class, connecting with people and so forth. I, I wanna know, like, like, do you, does your passion for teaching still, like, is it still at that heightened level? Um, and do you, do you ever think you'll see that fade or is it just teaching something you're so committed to?
1: Yeah, so I have reached a point where um, I usually teach in the very beginning as I came up and we were running the school and hoist left, it was kind of craziness. I had to teach because I had to, otherwise we would go bankrupt. Like I had to teach classes because it was me and he don't. Yeah. Um, and, and that was for many years. And then uh, we started cracking the code on the systems, certifying instructors and all over the world internally and externally. And um, we've now finally reached a point with, you know, the growth of the business and the number of instructors we have internally who are highly qualified that I don't have to teach anymore. And I only teach now because I want to. And I feel yeah. like, the same way people go to jujitsu at the end of every day because it's their passion and their love. It. It's their vacation from the everyday stresses and all the challenges. I have so many business and entrepreneurial obligations and things pulling on me from every direction that jujitsu has now served as a, as a release from those things to me as much as it does for my students. Mm. So I'm, you see what I'm saying? Like my full-time mm. job, I work 10 hours a day on Quick Flip, on GU, on all CTC administration things. Yeah. And then I get to go teach at night. It's my vacation. So I'm there for me as much as for the students at this mm-hmm. stage of my life. So I'm not going to yeah. stop anytime soon because it's something that's in my DNA. I enjoy the problem solving. I enjoy the sweat. I enjoy the training partners. I enjoy every aspect. I enjoy seeing the new students grow. Mm-hmm. So now it's just really cool. It's almost like a kid who's in high school and then has to be in high school and they're freaking terrible in high school. I was not terrible. I was straight A's. But a <laughs> kid who goes to high school because he has to. Then you yeah. graduate and then you spend a few years in life. Then you go back to college because you want to learn something new. Where you, when you go because you want to go, it's a different taste, you know. And that's where it is for me right now. I teach because I absolutely want to teach, and I enjoy it. And it's, um, I'm enjoying the new phase of my life where that's the reality. And, yeah. uh, and there's so many other things keeping me so busy that I'm having fun playing the game there as well. Quick Flip and GU and so many things I want to do with GU still in terms of expansion, especially globally with the, so many new CTC ideas and uh, different regions of the, of the world that we can grow into. So those are my, that's where I kind of have my sights set now is international expansion for the CTCs. Domestically, yeah. we're pretty strong uh, internationally with your help in Australia, South Africa, Canada, uh, Aust- uh, Europe. All yeah. throughout Europe, we could do better, and Asia. So every continent, basically, but the U.S., we need some more work in. South America, we need work in, and uh, I'm looking forward to that phase
0: yeah man it's really it's really exciting to hear like that you that uh, there's no kind of just like settle like okay we've got to, we're, like, you know we can do better in these other areas and we can do better with jujitsu offering and getting the rest of the world to catch up to what we're doing here in Torrance. so that's really cool to to hear that that's the next kind of step for you um I was thinking about like the the way you grasp the philosophy and you pass it on to other people, but when you start actually training with somebody else. And you, you kind of feel their movements and you start rolling with them. How can you tell, like, during that training session, when, that per, when you understand that person actually understands Jiu-Jitsu? Because, right? like, you can roll with somebody at, like, at any rank and they might not actually understand the philosophy that guides your Jiu-Jitsu. And, and like, how, do you, how can you feel that in somebody?
1: How the philosophy that guides my jujitsu or
0: theirs? No, your jujitsu, because like you've talked about rolling with different people, and you, like somebody asked you, I remember once at, at a at an ICP, um, who's the most uh, impressive person you've ever rolled with? And you're like, you guys are expecting me to say like some UFC fighter or something, but it might be like you talked about an experience like it was in Germany where you rolled with a blue belt. Um, who was in the Air Force or something like that. And, like, you felt him and you're like, oh, this guy understands it better than some of the black belts you've rolled with. Like, you could just feel that there was an understanding of what he was doing. And I guess, like, what, what was it about that experience that lets you know that somebody actually understands how you think jiu-jitsu should be implemented?
1: Sure. Yeah. So, I'm, you know, I can quickly tell right away when I roll with someone, I'm curious to find out what's important to them. Mm. what's their priority what's their what's their objective in the role and when i meet someone even of lower rank who rolls with me and has what i believe to be the right objectives for who for what they're trying for 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 the pairing for, for going against me i go wow this is this is very impressive and um you know the simple kind of high level example is someone if i'm rolling with someone mm. you know and you know it's it's, it's pretty given that i'm going to beat them and they make any attempt to try to beat me i go ah they're here, and they're going to get choked ten times easier because they're trying to submit me.
0: Yeah.
1: Very simple. And if someone who's beneath me in a skill level and experience level is trying to catch me, they're going to get caught faster, and they won't even know why. Yeah. And then I go, "Oh, they're lost. They're lost in the jungle." But when I roll with someone rank black belt or lower, and I go, "Wow," their priority is to defend and neutralize me. The mm-hmm. same way when I roll with on my priority is to defend and prevent his progress. I don't want to catch him. I want to pre- prevent. And then if he slips, I'll take advantage. But I'm not trying to just impose my will. So that high level of survival mindset, that's all I'm looking for. And some Mm -hmm. people are blue belts have it. Some people that black belts have no clue, disaster, Mm -hmm. completely upside down jujitsu philosophy. And I've trained with them as well. And I go, Oh man, they're missing it. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, that's what I look to assess. And we have a lot of CTC leaders and, you know, head instructors and these guys who have come up primarily through GU They're you know, they've trained because they have students and they have schools. But if you really think about it, they're Gracie university products. Because all of their new information primarily is coming from GU. yeah, And they're remarkable, some of these guys who we train with that are blue, purple, brown now. yeah. Um, it's just unbelievable how good they are and how their philosophy is so dialed in that I have a tougher time with them than some black belts who have never learned about the philosophy that we take, you know? So the survival mindset. So yeah, that's uh, all I'm talking about when it comes to that.
0: Yeah, my first uh, kind of like experience was that with, with uh, Scott Butler from Shepparton, um where, you know, he's purely GU. Right? Like he did, everything was online learning and so forth, and when he came over, he was purple belt. I met him at one of the Pedro Ho seminars that we uh hosted um and we had a bit of a play then, and it was like rock solid the rock solid technique, super slick defense, and the mindset the mindset that we always hear like talked about like the defensive mindset was like ingrained in him um and I've only seen it progress more over the six years that I've got to really know scott um and I'm just always so uh in like intrigued about like how well he's understood it just from you know, like we hit, like just from online material but i've experienced it myself like my jiu-jitsu is better in the time that i've been with you than the 10 years it was before i was with you guys um, and i felt
1: it yeah i felt that increase already i remember the first time he rolled and now it's just a whole different animal bro your mindset is you're 100 spot on with it and um yeah scott's a special beast also man that guy is just on a different level his discipline and He's
0: the 1%, right? He's the special guy, so. Yeah, he's like, I'd say with Scott, I trust him with my kids, man. I like that guy so much. He's yeah, crazy. he's a really good guy, man. You guys are like, we're lucky he paved the way in Australia because like, he was really the first one that, that uh, got it all going, you know, and opened up the first CTC and so forth. So that's a lot that's of crazy, yeah. Yeah. Dude, your brother, um, you know, we saw this uh, – episode of tv that came out a while ago that you kind of released the pilot for the tv show and we kind of see Huron picking on you a little bit when you're a kid throwing you around and stuff like that and uh i've always wondered like did because you've got quite a fire to you in regard to like your passion and your competitiveness and so forth and do you feel like that's from like your experience with Huron? or do you feel like that picked up afterwards like during your teen years or that or is yeah, it just something that's from always been
1: birth it? yeah from birth yeah all i ever wanted was to be as good as him
0: yeah and like you're very fortunate because you have such an, a good relationship with him like that kind of competitiveness couldn't make too that wasn't always that.
1: the case that was only like that was only we only became that close once we moved out into separate houses our parents divorced and i moved out with my dad so we weren't on each other the whole time yeah. but up until i moved out around 13 years old He was the nightmare of my life. He was the worst case scenario. He was the bully. He was the freaking he was terrible. And uh, we would fight I mean, I was too. Let me get it. I instigated a lot. But we had it on each other a hundred percent. No jujitsu either, all street fight rules and it was just violence. He was just very aggressive. He was always stronger and I, I would just kind of get him over the edge with like psychological. I would kind of just pester him and then he'd hammer me back. Um and then finally we moved apart and we We didn't live together, so there was some breathing room. And then once Hoist left and we took over the GU, uh, Gracie Academy together, then we had to rely on each other. And then we were adults at that point, and there was, like, no more kid, and this insecurities that kids have. We just didn't have them anymore. um, But no doubt, from the very beginning, all I ever wanted was to kind of catch up to my older brother, so I couldn't do it physically because he was always the hammer. And uh, so I tried to do it intellectually. I tried to do it communicatively. So in every way possible – I just wanted to catch up, you know, and that's the number that's, this is, this is normal, right? This is a, this is a sibling, this is a normal sibling situation. There's, Mm -hmm. there's like proven studies, right? Where number one, number two behaves a certain way. Number three behaves a certain way Mm -hmm. and number four behaves a certain way. And if you're not sure about it, just watch Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and it's all (laughs) scientific in that movie. How those guys interact is identical to how my brothers and I, including Hollick and Halen, it's all Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, um, you know, case study. But the point is, yes, it was, um, you know it was a rough upbringing but it made me who i am today a hundred percent from the beginning and now you know he kind of takes a back seat on some of the business stuff but you know he's still a monster when it comes to jiu-jitsu so it works out perfectly
0: yeah you guys have such a good relationship you guys bounce off each other so well and, and it's always like one of the most inspiring things that all the teachers talk about when i see you guys together it's like they're like i wish i had a partner at my school who was like you know the brothers because like It does, it's a different dynamic. And when you guys teach together and you bounce off each other, you guys just, you have your timing down, you know when to let the other person breathe, you know when to, when you can fill in for that person and you never see anybody's ego get hurt in that moment.
1: Listen bro, here's the thing though. A lot of instructors might be jealous they don't have a heat on, but let me just say this. No one needed a heat on as much as I did and as much as he needed me because of the storm that we had to go through. Just building GU, being pioneers with online learning, just all that we went through to like just restructure jujitsu—it was so much change that if either one of us was by ourselves, we would have got torn apart by the by just the pressure of society. So the yeah. fact that there was two of us and we were like, no, screw all of them, let's go, <laughs> boom! We just carried on because there was two, right? There was there was a team. There wasn't an individual that was getting hammered by society. It was two yeah. people who shared a belief that we were doing the right thing. Now all of you guys, you don't number one, you don't need it. Number two, you don't get to have a heat on because you guys have it made. All you got to do is follow the system, love your students. The hate is gone. Like, you know, this, yeah. you, can't, you can't argue with the success. We saw Johnny Vasquez on the live stream there that brought him in. You guys at 465 is a purple belt. Yeah. How, many, how, how much can you hate on this when he's neighboring? He's buried by black belts in his community, and he's killing it at number one school three years in a row. You can't yeah. even say anything anymore. So the point is Johnny doesn't need a heat on. Johnny just needs to follow the system that Hedon and Henner pioneered through all the hate to make possible. And now you guys can live with that. So,
0: well, well thank you for that then
1: <laughs> <laughs> you don't need it. He don't, and you don't get it. He don't bro. That's it. <laughs> um,
0: well, I asked for a half hour of your time and you've given me an hour. So I just wanted to say thank you for that, man. I, I don't have anything else. I kind of had set up to ask you from here. So, um, yeah, I just want to say thank you so much. Uh, I know like the, the, there's so many different things you could be doing and it's like 10 o'clock at night now. So like, you know, you know so, thank Eve for letting us have you for an hour. And thank you bro. Yeah. And
1: we'll see you this weekend at the weekend webinars. We're going down Saturday, Sunday and um, <laughs> more fun stuff, bro. Thanks for all the support. Congratulations with all the success and all the great videos and content you're putting out and the connection with your students right now on a high level. So you're, you're definitely, you know, leading the charge in terms of how to maintain that possible, that that best possible connection. We're lucky to have you, bro, and uh, can't wait to be on the mat with you again, probably as soon as ICP as soon as we get out of this storm that we're in.
0: That's the goal, right? Yeah, we got we got a bunch of guys ready to go for this ICP, so we just got to make sure we can actually get there, or it'll be January next year.
1: <laughs> Stoked, man! I appreciate you, Robbie. Thank you, bro. Thank
0: you. That was a fascinating and very honest conversation from him. They're discussing a range of different things um, in regard to his relationship with his brother and, so, and just the way that he kind of goes about approaching the quality control that he goes into delivering a teaching methodology for instructors to run their schools. Uh, we're very fortunate to have contact with somebody um, of his level of expertise, not just in jujitsu, but in teaching. Um, and we're so happy to have him on for you today to listen to. I hope you guys enjoyed it. oh, 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 oh